everyone and welcome to Woman's Place. We're delighted to have you back here again. Um, we are talking about, or having our part two of the podcast today, um, talking about um, the nuns of Ireland and uh, yeah, we're going to get into that. Uh, my name is Tina and this is Sarka. Sarka, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi guys, um, welcome to Woman's Place. Thank you for joining us um and as tina said today we're doing the second part of our podcast on mm-hmm. nuns in ireland yeah we're gonna get into so the first one really gave you um a little bit of a history of to why um why nuns became so popular why um convents and and the church really became very popular in ireland and how that came about so if you want to um go back and have a listen to that you're most welcome um, now we're having a look at really why, what conditions came about that women in Ireland, because I actually think that sometimes we think of nuns as nuns and not women. Sometimes the same things, I don't know why, but in my head anyway, I kind of forget that they're women and I, I think that they're nuns, which of course are women, but um I don't know. I don't know why I have that in my head, but that's just the way it is. Um, and they were Irish women who chose the church, chose maybe, you know, we'll get into that now in a second, but um, basically it was an option in front of them and it was an option that people took for better or for worse. So we are going to just, Sark is going to talk to you a little bit first about um, really how that came about and why being a nun became such a popular thing um, in Ireland. So we spoke about in the last podcast, guys, um, as Tina said, a bit of a history lesson. And if you go back and listen to that, um, you'll hear the kind of conditions for that. But there was a huge rise in the amount of nuns between the years 1880 and 1920. And um, even the orders themselves acknowledged that most women did not feel the call to religious life. Um, Most of them joined uh, for other reasons, a myriad of other reasons, Mm -hmm. one of which obviously was poverty. Right. So so I think we all know Irish families tended to be quite big at that time. And um, usually at least one or two children were sent off to be educated by the nuns or the brothers. Um, So there was poverty. There was also the desire for some sort of education. Um, Usually girls especially left school at maybe 10 or 12. Once you had your primary cert, once you could read or write, um, they were were happy to let you go. And so if you wanted any further education than that, um, really your only option was the nuns. Mm -hmm. So that was another reason. Um, And then there was the big reason of not wanting to get married. Yeah. Wait, what? What do you mean? Um, are, can can you give an, a a date ish? What what kind of timeline are you talking about here? So we're kind of talking maybe between the eighteen nineties and the nineteen tens. So that that kind of twenty years. So like Ireland is still in the British Empire. We're about fifty years, forty years after the famine, mm-hmm. and things are not good. There's no secondary free secondary education. No free secondary education. Time. We yeah. didn't get that till the nineteen sixties. Right. Um, yeah. There was barely free primary education, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. You know, and there wasn't a truant officer going around checking where children at school. Are you at but school? No, they were selling it, the echo. <laughs> exactly. Do you know? And if you were a girl who wanted an education, then the nuns were very appealing to you because just because you went to them for an education didn't necessarily meant you had to take your vows. Right. Do you know? So they so even novices um were really common and then they might not actually become a nun then. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Um but but I think in the in most women's cases, um, a lot of it was that they they had no desire to 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 be married, um, in um, Ireland anyway. You know that could be. I was, when you were first starting to talk about the nuns there and like talking about poverty, I was like interesting that the salute like that. Okay, first of all, the sisters was an option where a lot of women in poverty tend to fall into, may, may fall into sex work a lot of the time, you know, like maybe the nuns was like a, a cleaning up of society in some way, like give people another out rather than like sex work. Um, 
Definitely. And we're going to speak a bit more about mm-hmm. that kind of idea later on in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so just I'll, I'll, say there I'll get back to that. Not choosing, um, not choosing married, like how many women were, you know, gay and didn't want to get married, but it was culturally enforced. Um, so give- I would say a good percentage mm-hmm. of them were members of the LGBTQ plus community and they 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 weren't about that life, you know. Mm-hmm. They they weren't going to get married, no. um, or any uh, or do anything like that. Yeah. Um, and you're in a big and you're in a big house full of girls, so you know, yeah, can't be too bad. <laughs> um, so just to give <laughs> just to give people an idea here, um, we had quite a late um age of marriage as well at this time. Funnily enough, um, you'd think in, in, a, in a society so obsessed with marriage that they, people would get married young. They didn't really. The average age of a bachelor, the average age of a man getting married was about 30 and the average age of a woman getting married is about 25. So that's, they weren't getting married at 16, 17, you know? Yeah, that's it. Like my grandmother was 30 something before she was got, 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 got married. And I think a big part of it what? was that the men had to come up with something to support the woman right yeah that to come up with a job a farm a house something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and in the poverty of ireland at the time that was going to take you a few years Mm -hmm. um the other thing was well was there was no real option for paid female work in ireland outside of some form of domestic service or laboring Mm -hmm. so women who wanted to make their own money or be in some way in control of their finances um you weren't going to be able to do that either as a married woman or a single woman. Like a woman could even open a bank account. Right, yeah. So, you know, there was a, like a woman couldn't buy a TV license. I know we're not in the age of TVs yet, but like a woman couldn't buy a TV license without her husband. You know, so like where there's a lot of um, financial insecurity in marriage, actually, mm-hmm. instead of what you would think it might be, which would be financial security. Um, and the last reason that I think a big reason would is um, a desire for power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A desire for some sort of leadership role. Right. Yeah. Like the first podcast we have, we titled, uh, entitled uh, the most powerful women in Ireland. And like, it, it is, it's kind of hard to think of them that way as well, because they're this like old ladies with the habit on and they're just quiet and so submissive seeming. But they, up until very recently, and in certain parts of our society, are really, really powerful, such as in health and um, uh, in, in education. education. So those are yeah. two major institutions of our society. And we should not underestimate how important that is and how powerful a role that they do have still. And they are women you know, I think they're like we talk about the church, but like nuns are they're women first. They're a force all of their own, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Um it, it, this is well like this would bring status to your family as well, you know, by having a nun in the family, you had status in your community, but you also had status in your in your own convent. Like nuns take vows and one of those vows is obedience. Mm-hmm. And it's a bit like when people in the army say you salute the rank, you don't salute the man. Right. If yeah. somebody was ranked higher than you in, in the convent, you did what they said no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the, the um, what, what are called choir nuns, the ones who actually go out into the community and teach and nurse oh. and... <laughs> exactly um they teach and they nurse and and things like that they tend to be the most powerful ones no really yeah so they they tend to be the most powerful ones because they have influence in those areas you Mm. know they might start as a porter but you're not retiring from this you know Mm. what i mean so by the age of even 40 or 50 you would have if you were competent at all you would have gained a huge amount of power like I remember my grandmother telling me about the matrons who used to run the Bon Secures Hospital in Cork mm-hmm. and how you there wouldn't be a crease on the bed. Yeah. And if there was, the matron would drag the poor nun up who put the crease in the bed and make her fix it. Mm. You know, these women lived for this. They weren't they weren't going home afterwards and having to cook and clean for their families, if you know what I mean. Like they had the time 
to put in all of the effort mm-hmm. to make sure everything was to a certain standard. And I suppose you've touched on a little bit what um, there of one of the more, more interesting things and terrifying things, I suppose, as well about not just the nuns, but about Irish Irish Catholicism in general is this like notion of of purity and of cleanliness and of of you know tidiness and keeping things contained that are not just like you know they're not just about when you do one thing in your life like if you keep your bedroom clean you keep your house clean it tends to extrapolate to the rest of your life like it's not like definitely people who are hyper organized will be really messy at home or you know what I mean it, it like actually or someone who's like hyper disciplined at, at 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 exercising isn't going to be you know sitting at home for a weekend yeah uh, and I suppose part of that probably comes from the kind of training that the nuns had you know mm-hmm. that like if you had been in a nun's cell in 1910 1920 they were very austere Mm-hmm. You know, you might have a candle or a lamp, a Bible and a bed and that's it. Yeah. And if it most. wasn't perfect, you were going to be made to do it again a hundred times until a bit like the army. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I mean, the word cell, the word cell, you use cell when you are a terrorist organization. <laughs> and that's actually what it's always um, monks brothers and nuns their bedrooms have always been called cells cells yeah yeah and I know that sounds um doesn't sound too inviting does it no it doesn't I mean I suppose cell in that way yeah it's like it's a trap you're trapped you're contained rather than cell as in like a nucleus so maybe not a terrorist organization but like it has uh, I know in Derek Scally's book when he talks about the best Catholics in the world he talks about how similar the mindset of um, of Ireland and uh, Catholic Ireland and uh, and communist revolutionary Russia is, um, but that's a conversation for another day. Let's um chat a little bit about what you actually said there about. Sorry, no, um, no, I interrupted no, you. No. What what you said there about kind of revolution, like we're speaking now a second ago about the nuns that joined between say eighteen ten and 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 or sorry eighteen eighty and nineteen ten. And then in the 1920s, we had kind of this, this you know, t- very, very tumultuous decade. Mm-hmm. And it's really after the British leave that you see this need to construct a new identity for Ireland mm-hmm. that was different from British identity. Mm-hmm. Vices like... There's a bit of a jump now on um, the podcast, but Sirka went to space Um but she's back again, so we can hop back into sometime in the 1900s where the nuns and stuff was happening with nuns and stuff. What's happening, Sirka? Tell us. Um, so when the British left, there was an association with the British of everything that was kind of morally corrupt and morally wrong. And the new leaders of Ireland wanted to present um, an Ireland that was free of the vices of the former coloniser. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to present Ireland as a really pure place. Nice. And this is where you really start to see um, the kind of obsession with morality and purity. So Ireland... Like the new nation identity had to be preserved by maintaining the perception that we were the purest and most moral nation in the world. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the reasoning behind that was because um, of the one of the resurgence of Catholicism, which we spoke about in the last um, episode. And also that after the famine, there was such a trauma in the society, there was such a um, like a like a mental health crisis is what we would call it now, mm-hmm. and there were re- very regular um, descriptions in the papers of people abandoning their children, abandoning their babies, um, women accused of um, infanticide, like hundreds of reports of sex work. 
um, because there was no economy really in the country and people were extremely traumatized. Mm-hmm. And so to overcome this, there there was a turn towards um, purity. There was a there was a turn towards we are going to come hell or high water, we're going to enforce this idea that Ireland is extremely pure. Just for example, I have one quote here from a visitor to Ireland. Um, During the 19th century, like English people love to come here and gape at the Irish, you know, Mm -hmm. and they wrote quite a lot of, um, they wrote quite a lot of of travel accounts. And one of them notes that um, there are instances of parishes in Connacht where there have, there are more than a thousand families and there are no illegitimate children. Now, that's just a bald-faced lie. Yeah. That's statistically impossible. Mm -hmm. But this was the image that was going out into the world. Mm -hmm. Arthur Griffith, who founded Sinn Féin, obviously um, he he died. But before he died, he would have been very popular, especially in like newspapers in America and Canada and Australia with the Irish diaspora. And he once wrote that all of us know that Irish women are the most virtuous in the world. I swear to God, I used to be repeating something very similar to that up until I was in my 20s. I used to be like, and I used to be like, women in Ireland are just not as slutty as women everywhere else. I used to always be thinking it and even saying it. I'd be like, oh yeah, well, women over there, they're, they're slutty, but we're not, like, we're not like that. I think that it it partly came from um from from the from the revolution, but like what you just said there about this, it's carried down through the generations, mm-hmm. because if if you think about people millennials, um, like I I can cons- I like to consider myself an early millennial, but I I'm 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 old now unfortunately, but I feel like people our age, we were just coming on the tail end of that terrible time of, of 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 just suppression i think you have a very different experience to me not very different but things take a while to travel in the countryside in, you know including viruses yeah. you know <laughs> you know like i mean it's just transmission of ideas and even rules and enforcement and the changing of attitudes change so my experience in school especially as a young child would have been very very catholic where we would have been struck and hit like still um which is something that i think even amongst my peers on my of my own age in and around the countryside is something that is unheard of for my age. Um, like I think you could go all the way to Castletown Bear and Skull and you'd be hard pressed to find a school that was still hitting the children in the nineties. In the nineties, like yeah, 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 yeah. So like our my yeah. upbringing would have been very Catholic, mm-hmm. like yeah. oh mass every weekend, mm-hmm. confession, etc. And my school would have been very, very Catholic. But I definitely agree that, like, we saw, I definitely, I grew up in an urban area. So, like, I saw more of um, people who weren't like me, you know, people mm-hmm. who weren't from the village, people whose I didn't know their whole family, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's probably a bit different from people who grew up in a rural setting. And I definitely agree that the um, the, the idea takes a while longer to travel down. Mm-hmm. But I also definitely think part of it, apart from the erasure of the British um, hold over Ireland, I also think a big part of it was the erasure of all of the women that had joined the revolution mm-hmm. and were fighting for equal rights and and um, recognition of what they had done. And this was also a way of saying, of keeping women um, in their box. Mm-hmm. You would, know, it, would it be accurate to say that there was like, because I'm not sure you'll have the stats now because you store them in that ca- filing cabinet you call a brain, where how would there have been a big gender imbalance after the war? 
so like there was very few women fought in the war you know what I mean like that no but that, I mean that, men men killed versus women women killed oh no higher higher I, I mean would there been would there have been a, a large proportion of men killed therefore leaving an excess of not an excess but more more of a percentage of women in the country and for instance you're talking about like women leaving their ch- children there was was there a lot of like uh fatherless families because of the war a lot of widows um there like there would have been um in certain circles mm-hmm. i know it sounds terrible to say but it's true like if you were from a republican family you know the chances of your brother husband uncle father dying we were fairly high like to be honest with you mm-hmm. but like apart from kind of random shootings by the black and tans and stuff but i mean like in, the Bar- in the civil war no like there there would have been percentage wise no I don't think it would have made a huge difference no. because there were more women in the country anyway mm-hmm. already you know so I, I don't think it would have really affected the gender balance right. um it's just that like as I said earlier the um the men tended to when women tended to marry much later mm-hmm. because of, of of poverty and even that 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 was true up to the 1960s mm-hmm. you know um but but I think that this idea that started after the Civil War and after um, the, say, 1932 Constitution was very much to put women back in the kitchen, back where they belong. Um, When you compare that to somewhere like um, America and England, when industrialization was actually pushing women out of the home, um, even, you know, working class women who previously might have worked in a laundry or doing some sort of domestic service were now being pushed into factories. Mm -hmm where they were going to make a higher wage Mm -hmm. and have, I suppose, a little bit of financial control over their lives Mm -hmm. compared to Ireland, where women who were educated either didn't get married or gave up their jobs when they get married or joined the, um, the convents. And women who were uneducated, their options narrowed. Mm-hmm. to mother and housewife really to be honest with you yeah and you'll see this kind of wherever in the world there is an obsession with purity you'll see that they don't really want the women to be educated mm. yeah. but the the exception to that is the nuns right i can can i just make a, a point there that when you were talking when you're talking about arthur arthur griffith and what happened post post war of independence and post independence it's like we were talking about earlier like one aspect extrapolates out into the world like after our independence we became very isolationist as a country and yes. like we apply this when we're talking about the the constitution like what happens in the constitution happens in society what happens in society happens in the constitution like what happens in we became really isolationist and then we started to isolate things within our society as well, including like what happens in the home happens in, in the country or vice versa. So we started to isolate women. We became isolated as a country. We, we then isolated parts of our citizenry within the home and then we started to isolate women that who were a problem or who didn't fit this. It's very, it's very post-traumatic stress disorder, like mania is, you know, yeah. like, it's like, I, like get, get onto, get onto the idea of, of, of purity actually. And we'll have a little conversation about, about like the obsessiveness of, of cleaning and how that kind of like, that is very, yeah, like excessive excessive mm-hmm. cleaning is often is often um associated with people who for one reason or another feel very dirty mm-hmm. and um like we've spoken before about how say the famine is only maybe five four or five five generations six generations back from us you know but at this time that we're kind of talking about now when the real push for purity began in the 1930s mm-hmm. those people's grandparents had lived through or maybe not through the famine you know and then they had lived through the tum- the tumultuous years of um of, of independence and 
to say that that wouldn't have some sort of an effect on you, be it for some people, definitely full blown post-traumatic stress disorder. A hundred percent. For others, um, it might have been, you know, a huge amount of depression and anxiety, uh, a lot of survivor's guilt. And a lot of those um, conditions can cause you to try to make things better to in whatever way you can. To control, to, put, to, to bring about order in chaos. Yeah. And if you think that between I'd say probably 19 like and not 1914 the first world war started you know a lot of Irish men went off to that war as well like a lot of them Mm -hmm. and they returned back to a very very different country than what they left and they were shunned for taking the king's shilling you know Mm -hmm. um the same with the men and women and families who were involved in whatever way with the RIC or with the Dublin Metropolitan Police then you had people whose entire families had died in the famine. You had people whose entire villages had been wiped off the map. Um, and and then you also had the societal effects of that, yeah. which is, in, in my take here, the obsession in Ireland with purity, as you said, and the obsession with how things are seen, not how they really are. Mm. Can because, I just pause you there yeah. for a sec? I need to... Um... Grab my charger. Yeah. Um, just give me two seconds. Continue. So I think that I think that this 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 trauma of of being so for for nearly eighty years of having like really tumultuous times and and dangerous times and also the fresh trauma of suddenly being a post colonial nation. Mm-hmm. Um, like every post colonial nation has problems. Um, except for the ones that are essentially still part of the colony, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that part of that post-colonial is trying to forge this new identity. And mm-hmm. as I said, like in Ireland, what it came to mean was it doesn't actually matter what's happening. It matters what it's seen to be happening. Right, yes. So I'm not going to go into it, but there are various reports, including like the Carrigan report that you can look up if you want, that were covered up during this time from, say, 1920 to 1970, 1980, because there, it was deemed to be not in the public interest. Mm. It was deemed that letting this out would put a stain on the nation, and we simply couldn't have that because we had to be seen to be succeeding without um, um, Britain. And when de Valera took over... Um, we have to think of De Valera here in as as a kind of like um the the puppet master almost mm-hmm. for society. So he rewrote the constitution, he was the one who decided on the kind of isolationist policies, he started the economic war with Britain, and all of that led to severe poverty, which led to the country not being industrialized at all and keeping people separate kind of you know like as you said we were isolated from the rest of the world in that we had like a lot of censorship and we had a morality kind of kind of a morality board really where they would decide if if things were allowed to be on the radio or allowed to be on television um there were a lot of books movies um radio dramas that people in Ireland never heard because they were deemed to be immoral for Mm -hmm. Irish ears um and what I find kind of interesting is like, what did they think was going to happen? Do you know what I mean? Like, what what were they what were they trying to emulate? I, I it's this is an interesting question that you're posing now because it's something that has, I think I can t- t- tie back to royalty and the queen and 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 the the throne, like the crown, even. The there there was a when I was I was looking up stuff for our I think it was one of our first podcasts and it was about feminism in Ireland and the early feminists and I was reading about how this bishop was talking about the purity of the Irish race like the purity of the Irish race that we are clean and it's the purity of the Irish race I thought it was interesting that they were making like that that they thought of number one Irish as a race of people we don't have that conceptualization of ourselves now 
Um, no. we maybe think that we are an ethnicity, but we certainly don't think of us ourselves as a, as a race the way it was very explicit when he was talking about the Irish race and we need to be clean and pure. And I think that in our, it, it, it's like this contrast, like, or this dichotomy where we are looking for independence and we were looking for, to be really different from the English, yet trying to be the purest version. And what is the purest version that we have in our societies of, of human beings? What's the purest form of human being? It, in, in many eyes, it's royalty. You know, it's like we should be royal, like we want to be royal and like royalty has this obsession with purity and and like sexual purity with blood purity, even though that it's it's incestuous. It's fading now. Yeah, it's fading it's, now. But back but, then, definitely, yeah. Yeah, but even now it still has, it has an obsession still with racial purity. Like look at... Oh God, at, yeah. Look at... Um, poor Harry. Meghan Markle yeah poor Meghan and, and Harry and their child that and that and how much that kicked up a thing about uh, ra- uh you know the, the the purity of the line um it all is like both rejecting your abuser and then wanting to be your abuser at the same time you know it's like it's I think it's I think that 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 desire to be godlike and the closest thing to God on earth besides the Pope, you know, in culture, it's, it's, it's the, um, politically or, or even in culture, it's royalty. And you actually just reminded me of, you know, that saying cleanliness is next to godliness. Yes. Yeah. 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 And like in, in people's eyes, um, particularly in the, the say late 1800s, early 1900s would have been the idea that, um, they were chosen by God. Mm hmm. To rule now, obviously, we wouldn't have thought that about the um, the British, but it it definitely would have been in the psyche that you know these people are the highest of their um, their society. Mm-hmm. Might not maybe not our society, but their society. And I I kind of think as well that when when you think about Ireland in general, like. <laughs> De Valera deliberately kept Ireland underdeveloped, you know, and that was a sign of purity almost as well. If you if you get like as in the if you compare, say, um, like the WB8's poem, the the um, the Lake Isle of Inish Free, where he talks about how gorgeous Inish Free is and how shit London is, <laughs> um, because London and and all industrialized cities at that time were grey and smoky and. and dirty and full of vices Mm -hmm. which they were because you know there was industry finally the industrial alcohol took off as well so people were drinking gin there to bait the band and abandoning their children and doing all sorts of things that people in Ireland weren't seen to do Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons that weren't that they yeah weren't seen to do, but if you walked through Dublin in 1940, like would you have seen smoke coming out of many chimneys? Would there have been many factories? No, not at all. You know, like it was, it was kind of like um, just even Cork City back then or Galway City. Like there would have still been market days where farmers brought in their cows from all around and their sheep from all around to sell them mm-hmm. like that wasn't happening in London that wasn't happening in Manchester or Liverpool or any of those other places it it was happening here and I think a definite part of that was trying to keep those that isolation as well to keep that stuff out because we are better than that right. we are above that mm-hmm. it's almost um, like noble savaging yourself yeah this... because if someone tells you you're shit for 700 years yeah you then have to come back and say that actually, no, I'm unreal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe Cork people are the most scarred from all that. So, yes, of course. <laughs> of course, they are 100%. Um, but so, how were the nuns? Do you, how do you think that the nuns were instrumental in bringing about this new pure identity of, of in the Irish psyche? So I suppose even even the the process of becoming a nun mm-hmm. speaks to the idea of purity because not anymore, but back then they literally would get married to Christ. 
Mm-hmm. They would actually wear a white wedding dress. Right. And walk up the aisle of a church and lie prostrate on the floor saying, you know, I give myself to you. And a big part of that giving myself to you is I give you my virginity. Do you know, and not for you to take it, but just for you to know that I'm not giving it to anyone else except you. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's so like, I mean, if you saw that happening today, in oh, in, you'd be in, like, what the fuck like, is oh that? Oh my god, they are in a cult. Like if yeah? if if that woman was wearing a red or black dress and saying to Satan, "I give you myself to you," you'd be like, that person is a you know. They're, you know, it's just so I strange, do. the rituals that are, or the things that are like, it must have been, to be an absurdist back then, you must have been looking at it and being like, oh my God, this is crazy. I I just, I kind of think like, um that another part of it as well, were, were that as opposed to now, these nuns were young, mm-hmm. you know, they were maybe 20, 21 um after they had done their studies and stuff and, and actually got to be you know like, like actually got to become a nun um you 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 married god by by wearing your wedding dress and then you went to shaved off all your hair what they shaved their hair usually yeah they cut their hair really really short usually um, a novice would often shave her head, like, um, and then they would keep their hair very, very short for the rest of um, of their lives, I suppose. Um, and, and and again, this links back to what we were speaking about in our hair cutting as um, a weapon of war podcast, where we're talking about like the power that hair has mm-hmm. for women. It's your sexuality for a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, hair is linked to sexuality, so that's another kind of creepy thing as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like. I'm making myself in society's eyes less attractive now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As I just that's that's strange. So these nuns would have been divided into two categories, as we said, like choir nuns who went out teaching and, and nursing and everything, and then lay nuns who remained in the convent and did like domestic duties like cleaning and uh, gardening and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And the choir nuns were usually from more privileged backgrounds and were usually well-educated in a variety of things. So a lot of them would have spoken French, um, been able to read Latin, um, had, you know, a a good grounding in the sciences, um, definitely enough to teach to uh, a a 12-year-old and and probably enough to teach to a 16-year-old. But they weren't just in charge of, like delivering the state curriculum, you know, they were also in charge of moldings, molding people's minds. Mm-hmm. If you get a child at four or five and you're with them eight hours a day until they're 12, you're going to be able to do a pretty good job of getting them to believe what you want them to believe. Mm-hmm. And this was the, this was the church's um, tendrils getting into every part of society, every part of life and spreading their message. And when it comes to the nuns, particularly in small rural areas, like the parents would have been so unbelievably grateful for the education as well. Yeah. You know, like thanking someone for slapping you in the face almost. Yeah. You know, they were they were they were indoctrinating their children and the parents were so happy to give the children over because it was an opportunity yeah and yeah. you wouldn't turn down something like that in um newly independent ireland and also you know like I, I think people would be like oh how how would parents and i've certainly been this way myself you know how would parents let this happen it's like you still have people today talking about sure we were hit and it did us no harm yeah. And it's only recently that we've stopped corporal punishment. It took till the 80s for corporal punishment really to start being weaned out of, of schools. So, like, back then, they would have seen no problem in it because it was Not at all. And normal. if you got a slap at like, school... It was common. You were going to... Yeah. And if you got a slap at school, you were going to get another slap when you went home. Yeah. <laughs> for annoying you the know? nuns. Yeah. For annoying the nuns, exactly. And, like, obviously, we're speaking about women here, but that was also a lot of... Christian brothers and, mm-hmm. and other like Ross Minions and whatever else um, yeah. and, and the De La Salle brothers educating people and doing the same thing. 
mm-hmm. rolling out their version of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was actually having a discussion with somebody recently about um, there's a lot of single sex schools are merging across Ireland at the moment. So, you know, the two primary schools would have been built right next to each other with a yard in the middle. And the girls went out at half past 10 and the boys went out at 11 o'clock. So they never um, met. Mm-hmm. Do you know, um, there there was no real reason for you to be alone with another person your own age that you weren't um, related to until you were well into your teens. Mm. So there is an idea now coming forward kind of pedago- pedagogically that this affects children's development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That not being around boys or not being around girls um, affects your development, that... Um, especially when the nuns or brothers are telling you to stay away from them, you know, that they'll do you no good, et cetera, et cetera. You you become stunted in that kind of emotional and social development. And how to deal with that person, yeah. And that keeps the purity going as well. Yeah, and, you know, that's something I witnessed when I was in Asia, um of the school even though the school that I worked with they had a very very progressive and very they had Khmer so they had like Cambodian teachers and they had international teachers and and Cambodian teachers tended to teach the younger kids and they also taught them Khmer which is the language so you to receive an a Khmer education only recently was there taken out of the Khmer education. Um, a man is like the saying that goes, a man is like a gold bar. You can dirty it, but you can always get it, get it clean again. But a woman is like a white, white cloth. If you dirty it, it will never be clean again. It'll never be white again. So that's, that was only taken out of the curriculum recently. And there was, there was, there was, and it's out of habit, and they and like the teachers have been told not to do this, but it still happens, where they will divide the children up, um, and the children just start doing it. Like the children just start doing it of their own accord, as they they don't have to be told after a certain age. You know what I mean? Yeah. They don't have to be told separate out now. They know to separate. So like we're talking about kindergarten first year second year of kindergarten they will just automatically start separating separating out because they've been taught to do that at a young age and it is really 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 difficult to get them to mix later on it it may may it may take until like they're in high school in secondary school at the top levels really to start mixing and that's only if and what I witnessed was a lot of times those guys were like LGBT, you know, and they were willing yeah. to mix with the girls. Um, a lot of the boy boys, you know, the boys, the lads, they did The lads, yeah. You know, so it, it was just interesting to see how young they were, how, like, how quickly that behavior was learned and how 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 long it endured you know that behavior even to like even when you think about in ireland in the 50s and 60s and 70s they had classes for men looking for a wife (laughs) like how do you speak to a woman how do you ask a woman out on a date how do you do x y and z and they needed it because they never spoke to women who weren't in some way related to them, you know, or that that were single no, but or honestly, available. Listen, if there was that class available now, people would take, men would take it like... They, taught by a priest. They still need, oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 not taught by anybody with any sort of, um, any sort of knowledge in this area. No, 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 taught by the priest. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, how distorted must that be as well from the from the priest when like number one he can <laughs> he can nearly say anything he wants, and they'll be gushing at him anyway because he's a priest and the power imbalance like demands that she give him attention. So that you know what I mean. So even the yeah. even if he has the best of intentions and he has this is everything I do 
probably wasn't considering the the whole power structure there, bud. Like she has to talk to you because <laughs> you're a priest. Yeah, and that that kind of even that separation of the sexes, like we can see even now. In, I mean, certainly when I was growing up, we had the same thing that you're speaking about in Asia, all the boys together, all the girls together. But even in like the idea that most men in Ireland, not all, but most, they need to have a few drinks in them to approach mm-hmm. a woman. Mm-hmm. Or they feel they need to have a few drinks in them to approach a woman. Mm-hmm. And this all goes back to the idea of separating the sexes because you don't want them to do anything that you believe is morally wrong. Right, yeah. In the in the in the interests of moral purity and to exactly. keep men number like to keep men by to, from being tempted by the dirtiness of women. Exactly. And <laughs> that really is the key point as it always is around any discussion of sex. Um it comes down to I I believe um, that my woman should be untouched, un, you know, she should be like a, a brand new shiny toy out the box, mm-hmm. but I can do whatever I want. And you see this all over the world in every society that values um, purity, as we call it. Um, you, you see this this idea that men can do whatever they want and, and women can't. And again, it it. it stems from this idea that like you said women are so tempting mm-hmm. to men that um men men just can't control themselves uh, but like i i have a question like why can lesbians control themselves if men can't control themselves because they're too tempted by women like why can't lesbian why why can lesbians control themselves? That's just a thought. It's just a, a thought, thought I want to put out there yeah. into the universe. In the universe, but, listen. So this 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 culmination of um loads of young nuns being sent out to teach um and, and nurse and then gaining these positions of power in hospitals, even as the amount of nuns fell, the amount of nuns that were in positions of power grew. Mm-hmm. Because they were older nuns who had essentially kind of done their time, you know, and were now principal or vice principal or matron or vice matron of a lot of our healthcare and education establishments. And this meant that they had a huge amount of power, like actual, you know, proper power as opposed to kind of soft status power. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, every nun had soft status power where people would move out of your way and the street or men would tip your hat, their hats to you or you might not pay to go on the bus. Mm-hmm. But these nuns had real power. They had the power to decide who was hired and who was fired. They had the power to decide what was taught and what wasn't taught. And to think if 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 we think about the Department of Education, you know, they're all civil servants, but they're not teachers. So where are they getting their recommendations from? Where are they getting their ideas for curriculum and for uh, the managing of schools from? They're getting it from the people who work there, the flipping nuns. Mm -hmm. And the same with healthcare. Like, obviously, there are doctors working in these departments, but the nuns know the running of the place. Mm -hmm. The doctors know how to treat people, but the nuns know where everything is and they know how many people come in and out every day and how much money they're making and all that kind of stuff. And that that's real power. Mm-hmm. The decision to lobby and influence is real power. Yeah, so it's like the, the, the kind of, not infiltration is the wrong word because... I don't know if it is the wrong word. It's the right <laughs> word, but I I don't... And I, yeah, I mean like... It's the right word. I don't mean it to have such negative consequences, but I also don't want to have it have positive consequences either. I just seem I want to, you know, as a more neutral term, but infiltrated these structures, um, and that in that way because they have influence and seniority, they're able to mold these institutions and these services in ways yeah. that, like. When I was learning recently about the marriage bar, 
the effects of the marriage bar are still being felt today because the people who were going into or the, the women who had to quit um, when they got married in the 1970s, I think it was when it was finally abolished, would, were denied a place to like, they were denied a place in the pipeline. So then in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years time, they're not sitting at the top of the civil servants, you know, recommendation, yeah. sen you know, seniority panel. And, and so it'll take, it'll take another 30 years or 20 years for us to feel the effects of having, you know, women going into civil service 20 years ago. You know what I mean? So Definitely. like, and, and I just want to just briefly say, you know, like the, we seem to be witnessing a, we seem to be witnessing a, tr not a transfer of power, but a transfer of, I don't know exactly what I'm saying now, but, it, but I try, but a kind of like a, so the so the, the nurses were, or nuns working directly in the hospital, directly in charge, directly, you know, coming from convent to, um, to, to hospital. They are, they are dwindling in numbers now, the same as the priests. There's not this Ability. They can't support it they anymore. Can't support they can't support it. the numbers. Yeah. But they are what is happening with the National Maternity Hospital is they are it's like they're transferring the ethos or the, the Oh, they've already mm -hmm. Oh, Chris, like that what they're doing in health, they've already done an education. So most of the education, um, most of the schools that were run by the religious orders have been transferred into this amalgamation kind of conglomerate called KESHT, C-E-I-S-T. Mm. And it's the exact same, like you said, they're they're handing over the reins, but they're handing over the reins with like a re really specific set of instructions on them about mm. how to fly the ship. Like, how do I, you know, we still want you to have our ethos. We still want you to push our values Um but we're going to step back um, yeah. so that we, we don't get the blame and we don't have to deal with. But also um, because we can't, run, they can't run it anymore. They don't have the numbers. Yeah. No, they don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like you said, we're, we're seeing a, a very soft reckoning mm -hmm. almost. Mm -hmm. Like we're seeing the, the church um, hand over uh, kind of the monitoring of these places they're not handing over no deeds like mm -hmm. do you know what I mean like they're not handing over anything that's worth um uh, money but they're starting they're handing over the the kind of um the, the drawing board almost mm -hmm. you know and they've drawn they've drawn the cross on it <laughs> yeah and they're like this is what we're going with um and the schools are like okay sounds good and the, the maternity hospital is causing so much more ruckus as it should mm -hmm. you know a hundred percent as it should but I think it's causing so much more ruckus because um you can choose where to send your child to school in in a lot of areas I know in some areas the choice is still very very poor but you can choose where to send your child to school if you're if, if you're being taken to hospital you know you can't go I don't want to go to that one yeah they, they're just going to take you like yeah and especially with the abortion question up in the mm -hmm. air you know that's a real that's a real problem for people um who don't know if they're going to get the same level of care that they would get in another hospital or even like I mean I think a lot of people wouldn't even be that bothered about abortion if IVF was also included you know or like like oh no that's wrong I'm so, that's wrong people are are really bothered about the correct abortion care but it's like I don't know there's just a there's just enough of a question mark over the kind of care that you can that you are going to be able to get and I think there's just been a storm now of a few things social media has give us given us access to information much much quicker than we would have had before so they're not whilst they're trying to do the same things a lot of these a lot of these things are like we we would you know if it was 20 years ago we would have just fought, found out too late or the information would have come out in dribs and drabs and not like you know social media in Ireland 
I will say is very powerful politically. It's really powerful politically. There's that and there's also the COVID restrictions that were happening in maternity hospitals has really given Irish women and men um, a, a talking a, point, a soapbox to stand on and but, say, but a you know, real, this is my, oh, 100%. Yeah, a real oh. experience today. Yeah, definitely, you definitely. Know? But it's also giving, like, if you look at some kind of high-profile politicians like um, Donald O'Leary, who's... Um, who's a wife was expecting a child, you know, he sent pictures, he tweeted out pictures of himself standing, you know, in the in the car park looking up at her, you know, and saying like, my wife is on the seventh floor here, mm. um, having our baby and um, I'm down here. And I think that that, like you said about social media, but particularly when it's real stories, mm-hmm. I think as a nation, we like real stories. You know, mm-hmm. we like a man to stand up and say, hello, I'm Tommy from Donegal and this mm-hmm. is my story. And you know he is Tommy from Donegal mm-hmm. because he's got a big Donegal head up on him. <laughs> but, you know, compare yeah. that to, say, some American ads where they're like, hi, I'm Mary from Arkansas. And you're like, no, you're fucking not Mary from Arkansas. Yeah, it's just too big. We have, we, it, it, it's just a, it's too big. And yeah, we don't have that culture of things so far anyway um, in this country of like yeah I just I just think that it it's still in our psyche today you know um the the influence that they had over us it's still being felt as as we just discussed with the National Maternity Hospital but I think that we have to understand that for 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 every bad nun, there there's got to be a good nun, you know. Mm-hmm. And there, I myself have met some really nice nuns, mm-hmm. some some lovely nuns, and I've met some horrible nuns. Mm-hmm. But again, like the reason that these women went into it most of the time is because they didn't like the alternatives of poverty and marriage, and they wanted to have some sort of power, mm-hmm. you know. All over the world, we hear stories of women who who just wouldn't, um, they, they wouldn't accept the status quo, you know. And very unfortunately, in, in Ireland's case, um, those, those, the, the leadership positions that those women got into made other people suffer terribly, you know. And, and was that because there was no other, um, there, was, there was nothing else for them to do? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I hate to say it, but like power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. I'm sure people have heard that quote before. The, the, yeah, this is this, and I, th- this stretches back to what you're talking about the last day. And as you're saying here now, it's like having power necessarily, or like having the ability to like do things and like being in charge of a hospital is not the issue. The issue is that you're also able to make the rules. So it's, yeah, you know, it's like I, I am, I am the person. Like we we're talking about with the priests and like, um, and about the convents and, and their influence over the, over the, over the constitution. It's like, you're making your, the rules. And then you're also like, that's breaking all of those rules. <laughs> yeah. But not even breaking them. You are normalizing your behavior. You're normalizing your behavior because you're the one who's making the rules. So whatever you're doing is normal, even though it's abusive, you know what I mean? So like, it would be, like these are just women. When you said you were saying like, "Oh, I met some nice nuns. I met some terrible nuns." Those are just women in a habit, but they are also able to like write their own, or not. They are not able to, but the, the you know, like in some ways, it's like or before at least to be able to write their their own rule book according to their, you know, what's happening. The nice the nice nuns are gonna treat you well because their rule book is like their moral code is like oh I'm going to be kind to people but the people who are like just taking people like women who don't want to be nice to you and they are there they also get to decide what's abusive and what's not abusive you know what I mean it's like and they get to decide what's true and what's not true yeah um and what you what you it it's it's almost like um the, the nuns and the 
the priests decided that the whole of Ireland were their children. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you know the way that, like, you're, you usually growing up believe what your parents believe, you know what I mean? And mm. and they, they tell you what to believe and, and you do because they're your parents. It was almost like that they decided that I'm not going to have any children, so I'm actually going to have four million children instead. That's such an interesting way of putting it. Well, it is, that's the way of, it, when the priests address the congregation, my children, it oh, is. and my father. And yeah. my father. And it is, yeah, that's very true. Like, uh, and and the immaturity and the lack of education and the post-traumatic stress of an Irish population at the time who were just... It was like the perfect breeding ground mm-hmm. perfect for, breeding. like, I'm not being funny, but it would have been the perfect breeding ground for a dictator as well. Yeah. Genuinely, like if 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 we had had a had had a Mussolini or if if we had had an Idi Amin, you know, I could definitely have seen that taking back then because people were were away at sea. You know, they didn't they didn't know what to do with themselves. They, there was severe poverty, and there was a, ver, ver, a huge lack of options for people and a real lack of education. And that is a, a population that is very easy to control. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah, yeah. so just to kind of sum up for for today like i i think that the explosion in the clergy population coupled with the need to separate ourselves from british imperialism and the trauma that came along with the famine and the tumultuous years of independence led to a kind of moral panic Mm -hmm. among the middle classes and upper classes in ireland which then filtered through to these choir nuns who were middle class mm-hmm. and a lot of the bishops and archbishops who would have been middle class or upper class as well. And then they disseminated this new idea of Irish purity to their congregations mm-hmm. and their undereducated and poor misfortune in a lot of cases congregations they ended up with a spoon mm-hmm. because they know they knew no different you know and and this was the breeding ground that led to one of the highest child incarceration rates in the world uh, because as I said it didn't matter what was actually going on all that mattered was how it was to be seen and from the outside when you come in there's a very tidy clean well-dressed, well-presented, it's, you know... Image of Ireland. And that was the image that was sent around the world by, as I spoke about, the travel writers and by photographers who came here, you know, and saw people in the 50s still using donkeys to draw turf, you know? Like, in the 50s in America, even the poorest families had cars. Do you know what I mean? But in Ireland, no. And and that was very deliberate, again, leading linking back to this idea of separating ourselves from Britain. Their industrialization can stay over there with all the vices that come along with it. And we will stay in the 1800s with the moral purity that comes along with that. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, well, all I've got to say, I'm glad I didn't live through it. I uh, yeah, was... I'd have been... I also will say, just on a side note, I'm going to start saying, yeah, 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 as if we're on a phone call from now on. And oh, I yeah, and my it, mom does that. I love it. I've actually started doing it way more. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's actually a far more, as number one, it's far more Irish, and also, I, I don't know, when I'm going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like agreeing, I'm like, oh, that noise is too much. Have but, you ever noticed, though, that... It's women that go, yeah, yeah, oh, you, yeah, yeah. You have and to... men, and men go, good luck, good luck, good luck, good luck, good luck. <laughs> but do they do that when you're talking? Do they go, go, good luck? No. Oh, like, but the men that I know would like, you'd be like, okay, bye. And then they go, good luck. And you go, bye. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's oh, women say bye, good luck, bye, 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 good luck, good luck, good luck. And they say, good luck, good luck, good luck. No, you, you need to watch the, and everyone who's listening, need to listen to the Blind Boy podcast that he did on, and it's on, it's so funny. It is so, so funny. And he, he, it's, it's titled, and he talks about its association between, uh, like you don't need to know why if we like if someone's listening to this who isn't Irish, they're going to wonder what the fuck sound you are making no, with your mouth. No, listen, 
there he said that he had a had a had a brochure or found this thing on, in Australia where the, the tour operators were telling Australians coming to Ireland that if they if they if they hear an Irish person do like this inhalation gasp thing not to panic that it's like it's just that they're in agreement with you like it's just a thing that we do really so, yeah 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 it's like going seeing a tribe well if the tribe <laughs> approach the van do not get overwhelmed they're only trying to say hello so they're only yeah. Celts just don't but worry they, about it I think it's it's so uninterrupting and still tells the other person that you're there and agreeing with that like the mm-hmm I, I've had a problem with it for a while now um, I, and I feel like this would be, you know, we'd make the podcast sound more like a phone call between two people. Well, I was only <laughs> down at the nuns the other day and weren't they telling me they're looking out, looking to transfer the old national maternity hospital <laughs> over? <laughs> <laughs> no, do you know what we need to get is um, just our two mothers on the phone oh. and actually just record them talking about like the price of milk or something the price of milk you no. know what my mom talks disgraceful about Mary disgraceful 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 oh, did you see I did I did I did and I've actually no, started noticing it on people more and I've also picked it up again I used to do it for the longest time and now I, I've, I've, I've caught myself doing it a few times over the last couple of weeks so I'm enjoying it and Blind Boy said to like tell everyone to Start doing it again because we want We're to. We're bring bringing it. Back. He's bringing it back. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah, bringing yeah, it back. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, mm-hmm. if you have any questions, drop us a message on any of our socials. Yeah. And our next podcast is going to be so fun, and uh, yeah, we're going to do it on witches. So I know so many people loved the um Samhain one that we did last year. So um and what other one did we do that was kind of Irish? We did the history of um women's mental health. Mm-hmm. Yes. Kind of witchy. Yeah. We talked about the Malfesis Malcarian. Yeah. And people loved that too. So there is like definitely a um a, an interest in witches amongst um the listeners. So um yeah we will see you when we talk about that it's going to be a juicy one so do um do tune in and thanks enjoy the sunshine the indian summer as we call it um for the week hopefully it's hot where you are okay perfect okay bye Um, bye